excited about starting this new series. Um, uh, I know for me, if you've been with us even just one or two times, you've probably heard me talk about how God has taken me from some places, taken me from some bad things, and moved me in a new direction in my life. And actually, that's kind of an ongoing process. Um, that's something that really happens for our whole lives as we're in a relationship with Jesus. Um, he's taken me from some abnormalities in my life and the way I approach life, and he has given me, over the course of time, a new normal, which I'm grateful for. My old life, one of the seasons of my life, you would find me at work and working all day long and deep into the nights, anywhere from 15 to 16 hours a day, I would just work, work, work. Monday through Saturday, I would work every single day. And then Sunday was different, though, because that was a day of rest. And so then I would go to church. Then after church, then I would work all day and all night. So that's how I, that's how I function. So seven days a week, and you times that, that times 52, and then that was my life, and that was my year. And God moved me in some more healthy directions and some better directions, taking me from some bad habits and helped me have a new, a better normal. And if you have been here, let's just say you've been here three weeks in a row, and maybe, or maybe you've caught a whole series or three weeks in a row perhaps, then I would say that probably God is at work doing some things in your life as well, and it, to the point where you can already begin to sense that something is happening, that something is going on, that something is beginning and change uh, for you as well. And that's a wonderful thing to realize, that God takes us from a struggle and he begins working, maybe you begin attending church, he begins working, begins to change you, rearrange you, give you a new normal. But then if we're not careful, then slowly, at least this is the way I am, and I would, I would venture to say maybe you can relate to this as well, that new normal becomes pretty normal. And I get pretty comfortable with that. You probably do too. And as I get comfortable with that, then maybe I be begin to neglect some things and slowly... Very slowly, maybe some of the old normal begins to sneak back in. Maybe some of the old normal begins to slip back into my life. That's kind of the way it happens. And then, if we're not careful before we know it, then we're back to old normal. Cole, help us understand where we're headed with this scripture this morning in the series. What Harley is, is really speaking of is he's talking about an individual. In an individual's life where you, you make that decision to begin to follow Jesus and you, you, know, that, that you've, you see that change happen in your life and then as an individual you kind of can ebb and flow back and forth. And there's times in, in my life and where maybe I'm following closer and then I'll see myself falling back and, and, and so on and so forth. This morning, we are going to talk about a people that experience that very same thing. Harley was speaking about an individual. We're going to talk about a people. We're going to talk about Israel, uh, an entire country that for basically their entire existence saw an ebb and a flow between being close to God, following God, and falling away from God. Uh, and we're going to jump into the Bible in Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We're going to jump right into the very first verse in the book of Daniel, which the book of Daniel is, is my favorite book in the entire Bible uh, for a multitude of reasons that, quite honestly, I don't have time to talk about right now. Um, but we're just going to jump right into the first verse of chapter 1. And the Bible says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, kind of keep that word besieged in your mind because we're going to get back to it. But first, I want to back up just a minute and talk a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel. We know Israel uh, was, was an, is a nation that was ordained by God. It was created by God uh, as, as a fulfillment of a promise that was made uh, to Abraham a long time ago. And we know that the nation of Israel at this time, that was the Hebrews that had been led out of Egypt by Moses uh, through, through God's work, through Joshua. They had conquered the promised land and they now had the kingdom of Israel. And it was a united kingdom. Uh, and in the beginning, they were ruled by judges, ruled by God through judges. And then, of course, we know they had three uh, human kings, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. Uh, after King Solomon's reign, when he, he died, his son, Rehoboam, took the throne and made some pretty poor decisions in the way he handled his people. And because of the poor decisions made by Rehoboam, we, we know that the, the kingdom of Israel actually divided. It split into two, uh, with two separate kings, two separate governments, same people, same culture, but two separate countries. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel, and the southern kingdom was given the name Judah. And the city of Jerusalem was actually in Judah. It was the capital city in the country of Judah. Now, if we back up a little bit more and we jump into 1 Samuel, and we're not going to have it on the board and I'm, or on the screen. I'm just going to paraphrase. God made a promise to the Israelites very early in their existence. And we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. God said to the people of Israel, If you follow me, if you keep my commandments, if you uh, keep me as your sole object of worship, I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will make sure that you remain a nation indefinitely. But God said in that same, in verse, in chapter, uh, verse 15 actually in, in, in this chapter, God said, but if you disobey, if you don't keep my law, if you begin worshiping other gods, if you begin worshiping other idols and you fall away, you're going to be scattered. And you're no longer going to have this united Israel that, that has been promised unto you. And we, we know that actually the northern kingdom of Israel had already experienced that scattering. Um, historically, we know in 722 B.C. that Israel, the northern kingdom, Israel had, thank you, had been dispersed by the Assyrians. They had actually been completely conquered and basically annihilated. Uh, and so now we're going to fast forward about 120 years to, uh, roughly 120 years, to 605 B.C. Uh, that is where, that's the time frame that we are here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And we're dealing with the southern kingdom known as Judah uh, with its capital city as Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that in the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign that Nebuchadnezzar came to Babylon and uh, came from Babylon to Jerusalem and besieged the city. Now that word besieged or siege, um, we wanted to kind of define that a little bit. And some of you history buffs and military guys, y'all know what the word siege means. But um, the actual definition of a siege is a military operation in which enemy forces surround a town or building, uh, in this case, would be a city, Jerusalem, cutting off essential supplies with the aim of compelling the surrender of those inside. A siege is a military blockade with the purpose of capturing by, and this is an important word, attrition. A siege is really basically not letting anything in and not letting anybody out. Uh, no food, water, necessary supplies to sustain life. You just don't let it happen. And it's a slow process of attrition where eventually... Time wins. 
Uh, and, and then another uh, definition of a siege is it's, it's warfare that is a form of constant low-intensity conflict. Just constant low-intensity conflict. There's not, in a siege, there's not a major, huge battle. There's a lot of small skirmishes. Just small skirmishes to just keep the siege going on. And so that's where we find Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And, and in fact, in 605 B.C., that is actually the first of three sieges, sieges that the Babylonians did to the city of Jerusalem. The first one was, again, in 605 B.C. It, it was actually very quick. It wasn't a long siege. Uh, and really not a whole lot came, out, came of it other than Nebuchadnezzar basically said, you're going to pay me tribute. You're going to pay me a yearly tribute. I'm going to leave the king, Jehoiakim, on the throne. You're going to basically be my puppet or my vassal. And, and we know that he took some of the precious uh, jewels and some of the precious items from the temple that had been blessed by Solomon. And he took them to Babylon. And in addition, he also took uh, the best of the best of the city of Jerusalem, maybe the royal family. And among the individuals that were deported to Jerusalem during this first siege in 605 B.C. is... Daniel. And if we've probably heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, them as well. They were deported during this first siege. And Nebuchadnezzar left, and basically as long as Jerusalem paid their tribute, everything was fine. Well, in 597 B.C., there was a rebellion, and Nebuchadnezzar had to come back. And so in the second besieging of Jerusalem, a little bit longer, a little more serious, and Nebuchadnezzar, again, was victorious through a siege, uh, and he actually took, this time, 10,000 people from Jerusalem and from the area back and deported them back to Babylon. And he left a few in Jerusalem, but for the most part, he took the, the best of the best, again, back with him to Babylon. Uh, the, the prophet Ezekiel was taken in that deportation. The third and final siege took place in 587 B.C., so just a few years down the road. Once again, Jerusalem rebelled. This time, Nebuchadnezzar came with the goal of we're going to finish the job. We, we, we've, we've messed around long enough. We're going to crush these people. And in 587 B.C., that's exactly what happened. The, the siege uh, actually lasted a pretty good while. It was about a two-year siege. It took about two years for Jerusalem to fall. But in the process of that happening, or once that had happened, Nebuchadnezzar went in and he basically burned the city. He tore down the temple, wall, uh, temple burned the temple. Uh, he razzed the walls, which just means he knocked them down. Uh, and he basically annihilated the city of Jerusalem, and he took everyone that was really of any worth at all to Babylon. In fact, the Bible tells us that the only people that were remained in Jerusalem following the third siege of Jerusalem were the very, 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 very poor, lowly, lowliest people. Uh, and they were just left there really to take care of the vineyards and things. Uh, and so Jerusalem was basically... Annihilated. It was wiped off the face of the earth. And in fact, uh, Nebuchadnezzar took it a step further. And the king at the time was a man by the name of Zedekiah. And he actually captured Zedekiah and he, and he uh, executed Zedekiah's sons in front of him. And then he poked his eyes out. You know, then he put him in some chains and took him back to Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar was pretty serious that third time. But it took three siegings of Jerusalem. It took some time. It was a process. But um, Nebuchadnezzar was successful. Now, we, I want to parallel what Jerusalem dealt with with Nebuchadnezzar through these sieges with some things that I deal with, me personally, because I can only speak from my personal experience. Uh, 
where Satan attacks me in much the same way that Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. Um, but first, I think it's important to note, why did Nebuchadnezzar choose to attack Jerusalem? Why was Jerusalem on his radar? Well, it was because, two reasons. Number one, because the Israelite, the, the country of Judah, backed his enemy, Egypt, at the time. And the second reason is because Israel is actually... Uh, it's a crossroads in the ancient world. Really, if you wanted to get to and from Egypt or you wanted to go north uh, into you know, Syria and Lebanon and in those areas, you passed through uh, Israel. So it was the crossroads of the ancient world. So it had a really important uh, use in the ancient world. It was a, strategically, it was a big location, important location. For me personally, why does Satan attack me? It's really because an event that took place in my life, August 23rd, 1998, roughly 17 years ago, and that was the day that I became a follower of Jesus. That's the day that I put my full faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, and when I made that decision, I became the enemy of the evil one. I became his enemy, and I was now on his radar. And for me personally, and, and there are a lot of uh, different examples in my life, but one area in my life where Satan besieges my life is, is in an area of self-confidence and self-worth. I, I struggle with that sometimes in my personal life, and, and it ebbs and flows at times. There are you know, high points and low points. But I've noticed, if, if I really look at my experience with the way Satan attacks me, he, he really attacks me in much the same way Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. First, the very first thing that Satan tends to do to me when I'm under attack is he isolates me. He gets me alone. Much like Nebuchadnezzar in a siege, keep everyone out. The city of Jerusalem was isolated. No one was allowed in. There was no reinforcements, no support that was allowed into the city. The same way Satan does that to me, he gets me alone. Uh, he gets me to a point where I choose to really avoid positive influences, and I tend to avoid the support system that I have, and, and I really get, I, I get myself isolated. I run from help a lot of times. The second thing that I've noticed that Satan does in my life when he besieges my life is he constricts my necessities, my supplies. Much like in the, in the siege of Jerusalem, food was not allowed in. Water was not allowed in. Basically, they had what was inside the city wall, and that was it. There was no outside uh, reinforcements coming in. It was all what was inside. The same way for me. When Satan besieges my life, when I really allow that to happen, all that I have left, all that I have is what I have available to me, and I don't get the needed reinforcements. I don't get the needed supplies. In Jerusalem's case, it was food. In my case, it's my prayer life typically gets really inwardly focused. It gets really selfish. I, I begin to pray for me and my family alone. I, I've noticed that. We talked about that in a small group actually in week one. And, and that's something I see in my life. I get really inward focused in my prayer life. My, my study becomes basically non-existent. My Bible study becomes basically non-existent. Um, small groups are a great example for me. Uh, when I am being besieged by Satan and I, and I get to that point, he's constricting my needs and my necessities and I'm allowing it to happen, I, I find myself saying to this small group semester, I'm not going to take part in it. I don't have time. I don't like the, the topic. I don't like the leaders. I'm just joking. I love all the leaders. That's a joke. Um, but I find myself, you know, kind of shunning that. I find myself, you know, with my attendance on Sunday, I wake up at, when I wake up in the morning, I think, you know, if I wasn't on, this wasn't my job, I don't know that I'd go today. Uh, I find that happening in my life. And then the third area that I really see Satan when he besieges me is really he never stops 
doing it. I've been a follower of Christ for 17 years. I've had moment time periods in my life where I was following more so daily and doing a better job of following daily. And I've had times in my life what we're talking about now where I haven't. And I've noticed that throughout that 17 years, Satan has never stopped attacking me. It's attrition. It's a war of attrition. He just has kept attacking me. And again, it's not always been, you know, really huge attacks that are obvious, but some, it's so often it's that constant low-intensity conflict that we know to be a definition of a siege. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, it took three times attacking Israel, attacking Jerusalem, before he was finally successful. And each one was a little more intense. A little intense. bit more intense, a little bit more intense each time, but it took time. It took a constant battle. And in my life, it's the same way with the way Satan attacks me. It's a constant, everyday thing. Again, my, my time of following Christ has been 17 years. There are people in here that have followed much longer than me that would, I'm sure, agree, say, absolutely, Satan never stops. He, he's never going to stop attacking. He's never going to stop sieging my life. And now we're going to jump to verse 2 real quickly. The Lord gave him, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Now remembering that God said, if you follow me, I'm going to protect you. You stay, in, you stay with me. I'm going to protect you. you. You keep me as the center focus of your life. I'm going to take care of you. But if you don't, if you fall away, I'm going to remove that protection. Um, we see that that happened to Jerusalem. We see that happened to Judah here. They had fallen away, and they allowed themselves to fall away from God, and, and God allowed them to be taken. Now, real quickly, and I'm going to be finished. Um, in the book of Lamentations, we find a description of what Jerusalem was following that final defeat in 587 B.C. Uh, in fact, it comes from Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and I'm just going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, it says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she... Who once was great among the nations, she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. And this, I like this especially, all her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. That is a description of what Jerusalem was like following Nebuchadnezzar's siege, his battles. And that is an, a picture of what Satan wants to do to my life. As a, I'm his enemy. As a follower of Christ, I have, I'm on his radar. I've become his enemy. And what Nebuchadnezzar did to Jerusalem, and this description of Jerusalem, is exactly what Satan wants my life to become. That's right. And it continues in the book of Daniel. It says, Cold stopped off where it said that he took some of the objects out of the temple. And it continues, it says, so Nebuchadnezzar took them, and among, that, among them, he also took uh, this group of young men, we don't know how many, but there, were, there was quite a few, and they were among the royal family. He said he took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Didn't put the young men there, but took the things back. You know, for us, if we live life casually, just life as usual, just, uh, just where we get comfortable and our days are just kind of functioning like normal, then sometimes we begin in that comfort, not pursuing God like we maybe have at other seasons of our life. And when that happens, there's a good chance that God will allow you and me to be captured, if we will, to be held 
captive because we walked right into it, right through our comfort. Who were these young men that were among those that were taken captive and taken back to Babylonia? The Bible tells us they were part of the royal family or the part of the ruling families in the area. And let me let you know, if you're a Christ follower today, that means you've come to the place where you recognize what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. And because of that, that was like a payment. He purchased your life and you recognize that and you have said, God, I give you my life because of what Jesus did. You have bought my life and I surrender it to you. I give it to you. Then that makes you what we call a Christ follower. But you know how the Bible also describes you? If that is you, <clears throat> it describes you as being adopted into God's family. That God just adopts you and places you in his family. How amazing is that? Do you know another word that they use? In it? Because you've been adopted into God's family, if you've surrendered your life to him, given your life to him, do you know what else? They, they describe you as a co-heir of Jesus. Uh, a brother or sister of Jesus because you've been adopted by God. That makes you, if you're a Christ follower, it makes you part of God's royal family. And although the evil one can never change that, he can never change the fact if you're a Christ follower that you are now adopted into God's family, part of his royal family, and the evil one cannot change that. He cannot change that because you belong to God. If you're a Christ follower, you belong to him whether you live up to his name, the family name, or not. You still belong to God. And while the evil one cannot change your destiny as a Christ follower to be connected with God for eternity, he cannot change that. But he most certainly can change your circumstances in your life. So where did Nebuchadnezzar take these guys? The Bible tells us it's Babylonia. It's a region um, where we find also Babylon. Let me give you some information about the region of Babylonia goes all the way back to creation. God created everything, then he created man, Adam and Eve. And then several, many generations later comes Noah and his family. And that's when the worldwide flood happens. And God saves Noah and his family to restart everything. And when the ark that they were in, the big giant ship, when it comes to a halt and the water recedes and finally they come out, then God says, I want you to go and populate the entire earth, which they began this process, Noah and his family. And some of their relatives, some generations down, some of their relatives, they, they don't do what God asked, which was to go populate the entire earth. And they began to huddle in one area, one region. And they say, we're not going to do that. We're going to all stick here together. We don't want to spread out. Let's stay here. We don't care what we've been told to do. We're going to stay here. And in fact, we're going to become mighty and we're going to become great. And this world is going to serve us. And this whole thing is about us. And so to celebrate that, let's, let's build a tower to show how strong we are. A tower that reaches the skies. Let's do this because this is how mighty we are. 
And that is, if you maybe have heard from history, is called the Tower of Babel. And God was like, listen, you know, you're not going to stand strong against me. And he shows them. And this area was Babylonia, Babylon. And this whole area becomes synonymous with this idea, this thought. It becomes the same thing as this thought that says, this world is about me. It's mine. It's about me to make me happy. Whatever I want, whatever I choose, that's what's on the agenda. It's all about me. And God said, that's not the way it's going to work. And he scattered them around the globe at that point, confused their languages. That's where all that went down, Babylon. Now, not everybody left that area. Not everybody was scattered from that area. There was still a remnant there. And some generations later, we run across a guy named Abraham. His name at this time was Abram, but we're going to call him Abraham because that's probably how you recognize him. Abraham was there, and he lived in an area called Ur. How do you spell that? U-R. That's it. Just the land of Ur, and that is also in Babylonia. So he was there. And God said to Abraham, I want you to pack up your family and I want you to move to a place that I'm giving you. And that ultimately was called the promised land, which we, we visit that again with the people coming out of Egypt later. But he sends Abraham to the promised land. And that's where eventually Jerusalem is and all, that is the promised land. So Abraham was taken out of Babylonia... And sent all the way to the promised land. And that's eventually where Israel would set up this kingdom and Jerusalem, this city. And now we find Nebuchadnezzar laying siege to the city. Defeating the city and taking this stuff out of the temple and all of these young men with him back to Babylon. From where they had come from. Their ancestors had been in Babylon. They made it out. And now they find themselves going all the way back to Babylon. And that's where we pick it up. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men. Here's where it's talking about these guys. Some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families. So these were part of the royal, part of the king's family, and also just part of those who had leadership positions, their their children, and brought them to Babylon as captives. God promised them, as long as you love me, you serve me, you worship me, no one is going to defeat you, Israel. But if you abandon me and you serve anything else, I'm going to allow you to be defeated. And Israel and their lives, they got comfortable. They let their guards down and slowly, just ever so slowly, they started serving other gods. And God allowed them to be defeated. He allowed them to be to be beaten down. He allowed them to be scattered. He allowed them to be captured, to be chained, to be imprisoned. 
our bottom line this morning says this. When you let your guard down, the evil one will take you all the way back to where you came from. When you let your guard down in your life, the evil one will take you all the way back to where you came from. And in your life, I guarantee you the evil one is looking to take you back to where you came from. And in your life, he wants to take you back to those same struggles that you have had before. He wants to take you back to that same addiction. That's his desire in your life, to take you all the way back to that same problem, that same mess, that same bondage. If we let our guards down, he'll take us all the way back to where we came from. And the evil one will drag us all the way there. Now, if you have surrendered your life to God, if you've come to the place where you could be described, where you said, I've become a Christian, I have given him my life, I've surrendered my life to him, I have become a Christ follower because of what he did on the cross, he purchased my life, then he can never have your destiny, which is to be with Jesus forever in a real place called heaven. He can't touch that. You know, you've seen movies and maybe even read stories in the Bible about people being possessed by demons. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, a, a Christ follower, then that means that the evil one can never send anything into your life to possess your life. He can't do it. Why? Because the Bible tells us that once you become a believer, a, a follower of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And where the Holy Spirit is, there can be no other spirit. So you're, you're safe from that if you're a follower of Jesus. He can't have your destiny. He cannot invade your soul, your life. But he can absolutely ruin your life on this earth. He can chain you to an addiction, imprison you by habits, devastate you by lust. He can decay your life from anger. He can fester you with unforgiveness. He can self-mutilate you with hate. And he can poison your life with selfishness. And the list can go on and on and on. The evil one, if you let your guard down, will drag you from the promises of God, from the church of God, from God's children and from God's purpose in your life and from God's goodness and from God's plan and drag you all the way back. When you let your guard down, the evil one will take you all the way back to where you came from. Verse 4 says, that the king told him to select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, as, uh, that they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace, King Nebuchadnezzar's royal palace. I, I want you to know this. You've made it out of some junk in your life. I have too. I made it out of some junk in my life. We have. We may have left behind some mess, some things we were glad to get away from. We may have walked on. We may have a new look and a new life. We may have beat it and walked away. 
We may have a new family. Listen, the evil one is waiting for us to get comfortable in this new life. He's waiting for us to get used to our surroundings that are around us. And he's waiting for us to take them for granted. He's waiting for us to just simply let our guard down to get comfortable where we are. Comfortable with our new normal. It looks a lot like what Cole was talking about. Slowly, we just, maybe we get comfortable. We say, oh, I'm not going to sign up for a group. Maybe we say, we begin to make excuses why, oh, I, I can't serve on, on a Sunday serving team. Maybe we, we begin to miss church for any available reason. Any is just as good as another. And we start to miss out on our personal time with God's word and our personal conversations with God that we call prayer. And what's happening is the evil one sees us comfortable in this new life. We begin to get casual, and we begin to let, slowly, we let our guard down. And then, he drags us all the way back to captivity. But it doesn't have to be. We don't have to get comfortable. God is not so concerned with our comfort as he is with our connection to him. When we let our guard down, the evil one will take you, take me, take us all the way back to where we came from. And this week we just have a simple next step that we're asking you to take with us. And here's the step. On the back of your connection card or on your app, if you will just simply check the letter A. It says that you'll do this with us this week. Talk with God about where he led you from. Talk with God about those things that he led you away from those struggles, those things in the past that we walked away from. Have a conversation with God about how he led you away, how he walked you away, how he pointed you in a new direction towards a new life. Have a conversation about that with God, about how he is in the process of changing you, rearranging you, making things new. And then, we're going to ask you to begin to raise your guard. We're going to ask you to keep from going back to where you came from. Just one thing that can help. This is not the total solution, but one thing that can help is to just simply memorize a verse about your past struggle. About how God has moved you and changed you. And just memorize that verse to help you understand that the struggle is alive and that the evil one wants to lay siege to your life. And we have to keep our guards up so that we don't get dragged back to where we were in our past. 
Will you do this step with us this week? Have a conversation with God about where he has led you, how he has guided you away from that. And then memorize one little verse. And if you have trouble finding a verse that can encourage you, then just simply text Cole or Donnie or myself or email us or Facebook us and we will help you find a verse. If you can't find if you're having trouble finding one, just get a hold of us. We will help you find one. Because we want you to take this step with us this week. Because God desires you to stay free. For some of you, he's still in the process of moving you towards freedom. Others, he has you in freedom now. But he wants you to either keep moving toward freedom or he wants you to remain in that freedom. He wants you there. Listen to how in the book of Romans this is worded. Romans chapter 6 verse 15. It says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does it mean we can go on sinning? In other words, does it mean we can just be comfortable in this life and just still live however we want to? It says, of course not. Verse 16, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You become into bondage. You allow the evil one to, to tie you, to, to chain you to whatever that struggle was if you choose to obey it. It says you can become a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. In other words, when we follow Jesus, something changes, something happens. Our lives look different. Verse 17, thank God, he says, once you were slaves to sin, but now you are wholeheartedly you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. In verse 18, now you are free from your slavery to sin. And you have become slaves to righteous living. Because we are aware when you let your guard down, the evil one drags you, takes you all the way back to where you came from. But God desires to set you free, to keep you free. We don't have to go back to where we came from. We don't have to go back to what he has saved us from. We don't have to let our guard down. This week, I hope you'll join me. Let's pray. God, we realize that we become a slave to whatever we choose to obey. We can be a slave to sin and be tied to it and it leads to death or we can choose to obey you God to follow you and that leads to a new way of living thank you God that once we were slaves to that sin but now we are striving daily to wholeheartedly follow you and we do not want to let our guards down we don't want to get comfortable in new lives we don't want to get used to it where we begin we begin to take it for granted. God, we now are free. Or we are becoming free. And we want to be slaves to you, Jesus. Not to our past struggles. We offer you these songs. God, may the lyrics, may the lyrics help us to worship you. It's in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, we pray. Amen.